Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Thanks be to God. The reading is from John, chapter 1, reading from verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip frowned Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Well, the choir have just sung to us about the three kings following the star. But as is the way of life, uh, time moves on. And I think we have to move away now from the idea of following the star, which is very nice and very picturesque and a good symbol. And we have to think about what it actually means to follow Jesus. 
Now, the Church Times this week has got a big article about young people in the church. That is, why aren't there any? They're very exercised about this. Well, it's not true that there aren't any, of course. We know that ourselves. But the article makes the point that although primary age children are quite actively engaged in a lot of churches and in school with uh, the Christian narrative, actually when it gets to adolescence, then things begin to fall away. And one of the solutions that somebody has mentioned in the article is that, well, of course, these children should be getting, uh, being brought up at home uh, to actually become part of a Christian community. It's the home and the family that does that. Now, I don't know about this particularly. Um, my nephew and his family came to stay with me before Christmas. And as far as I could see, family life seems to consist quite a lot of the oldest teenage girl on her phone to her boyfriend almost consistently, the little lad watching a lot of cartoons, quite a lot of which I actually didn't think much of, to be honest. And if I'd have been mum, I'd have switched it off, but there you are. And, and the middle girl, actually, she was reading books. But it didn't seem to be the sort of environment where anybody's going to sit down and talk about Christianity. I think it's a bit fanciful, perhaps, to expect that that is going to go on. I mean, when I was young, um, I, my dad sang in the church choir, and I sang in the church choir, and that's how I kept on going to church. We never actually sat at home and talked about Christianity. We went to church on Sunday. Dad and I sang in the choir, and my brother went off on his motorbike. So, I mean, I'm not entirely convinced that even in this wonderful era that's just gone, that we all tend to think was so great, that families and homes actually had such a big part in, in structuring people into the Christian story. Now, you may disagree with me, and you may say, well, we've got lots of examples of that. That's my own particular take on that. But it seems to me that if we want to engage people to follow the teachings and the example of Jesus, then it isn't so much a question in one way of doing, but being. It's a question of how we are. And it's a question of whether we actually provide the sort of communities that young people want to belong to. And in fact, so do older people, because we're all young really, aren't we? No matter how old we are, we're all actually still asking the same questions. Why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why don't we seem to be able to, to actually live in a society here and internationally where there is justice and peace? We never stop asking those questions. And these are the questions that a lot of young people are asking as well. Now, there are various strategies that we can think of for getting people to follow. In our church um, at St. Paul's, we've tried to hang on to the young people we've got by giving them something to do. And they do actually like being servers. They like carrying the cross and the candles. Um, they like to have something to do. And then our curate, Joe, suggested something even further. Why don't we get the young people actually leading a service once a term? So that's what they do. They lead the Eucharist up to the bit where the priest has to do it in our tradition. Um, they read the lessons, and we had a, a very, very articulate young man who preached a sermon to us, which was absolutely wonderful. I have to say, I looked at him and I thought, right, Archbishop of Canterbury coming up here. 
it, it was wonderful. And before Christmas, at their young people's service, it was sort of brought home to me our perspective on things when, when it got to lighting the Advent candles, you know, where we usually ask a child to come and light it, the, the young person, the young girl of about 10 who was doing that bit of the service, actually said, and now I'd like to ask an adult to come up and light the candle. And that does somehow make you think to yourself, you know, how do we view certain members of our community? We're always doing to them. We're never kind of letting them do it themselves. But I think if we look at this morning's gospel, it will actually help us with this idea about following. Now, the first reading was from Revelation. I certainly wouldn't have chosen it myself, but it's in the lectionary, and I think we have to grapple with these things. You see, what I'm supposed to be preaching to you about this morning is the idea of Jesus as the Lamb of God, because these two scripture passages, the first reading and the gospel passage, they do follow on one from another, from the actual context of the disciples in John's gospel recognizing exactly who Jesus is from the very beginning. And they recognize this after John the Baptist has said to them, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's why we had the reading from Revelation, I suspect, about the Lamb and the identity of the Lamb. But you see, I don't think that helps us a great deal, really, does it? I mean, if you went out there and said to a group of people of any age, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, I mean, I just think they'd either probably give you some money because they think you... Of begging, or, or you know, they, they'd sort of just go away, wouldn't they? Because what does it actually mean? What does this language that we keep using actually mean? Well, perhaps we need to go a bit deeper into the gospel, which is always a good bet, I think, for what this actually might mean. Did you notice that there are three key words in this morning's gospel? One is found... One is follow, and one is see. And if you sit down with this morning's gospel in your Bibles with a pencil, and you underline those three words, found, follow, and see, you will realize that they are repeated. They are significant words. So what do they mean for us? Well, apparently, in the New Testament Greek word for found and find, it actually has the implication of not just coming across something, but going out and searching for it. So what do we read at the beginning of this morning's New Testament passage? Jesus finds Philip, but Jesus has been searching for Philip. He is actually prepared to go out of his context and to go into Galilee and to search, to look out someone who he thinks will perhaps be prepared to listen to the message. And what does Philip do? Philip searches for Nathaniel. So Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathaniel. He actively goes out and searches for him. Nobody is waiting for somebody suddenly to appear and become part of this new community. They are being searched for. And then interestingly enough, what is the ensuing conversation? Philip says to Nathaniel, 
we have found after searching, we have found after searching the person our culture is looking for who will enable all of us to be humans who flourish because I think that's what he means in what he says. So this word find is really important. Jesus finds Philip, Philip finds Nathaniel, and Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found. But it doesn't happen unless you're actually searching. It's not going to happen if you're complacent and you just wait for people to turn up and you don't engage your mind with the scriptures, which is what Philip has been doing, obviously, after his encounter with Jesus. And then we understand then that Jesus goes out and he starts building a community by searching. But another interesting fact is that Philip came from the same place as Andrew and Peter, who have already been called in the passage before. So Jesus is building up people who already have a a kind of relationship in where they live, where they come from, what their background is. He's building all this up. And notice that the inspiration which Philip and Nathaniel find comes from Nazareth, a very unlikely place, they think. It doesn't come from where they think it's going to come from. And that might be important as well. Now, the next immensely significant part of this conversation, I think, is where the phrase is, is, is said, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. And follow. Now, follow's got the meaning of a company. Follow doesn't mean that you drag people screaming. Follow doesn't mean that you, say, you wag your finger at people and actually say, you're a guilty person and if you don't come this way, this is going to happen to you or that's going to happen to you. It's not based on guilt and it's not based on fear. The word follow actually has the meaning of a company. Go alongside. There is no intimidation in it at all. And likewise, the idea of come and see Come and see what Jesus is going to say. Come and see what Jesus is going to do. You don't need to make your mind up straight away. Come and see. That's really important because it's not at all threatening. And I wondered if this wasn't part of the answer to particularly thinking about young people, I mean teenagers and upwards, in the church. Instead of actually presenting them with a set of doctrines that they have to agree to, Might it not be an idea to say, come and see, come and see a company, come with us and see what this Christian community is trying to do because it's inspired by Jesus. Come and see what this Christian community is trying to do for the human flourishing of everyone because it's inspired by Jesus. And don't you think that actually ties in with the idea of the lamb who takes away the sin of the world? Because isn't sin to do with separation from what enables people to flourish? Which in the Christian narrative we might describe as the love of God. But anything that prevents people from flourishing, which separates them from being the person they really can be, is actually to do with sin. So what we're saying to the young people, in a sense, is come and see the Lamb of God. But we're not going to put it like that because it doesn't actually mean anything. The vocabulary doesn't mean anything. So what happens then when they come and see? Well, we've been having rather a 
discussion in, in St Paul's about the night shelter. Because actually it is the fact, we do it on a Tuesday night, and it is the fact that nearly all of the people on the rota are people of, say, over 60, actually. And even the people who are sleeping overnight are over 60. Um, and we've been thinking, you know, well, surely this is the kind of thing that will enthuse young people. Come and see what's happening at the night shelter as the Christian community in Canterbury tries to provide somewhere for people to be, to feel that they belong and to feel that they're cared for. Might you be able to join the social worker in being at the night shelter all through the night? Don't you think that young people who are very idealistic and actually do want to see justice and peace and are very concerned about people whose lives have fallen by the wayside, if only we could perhaps invite them to do this, they might then start asking us, well, why are you doing this? Why is the church hall used for this on this particular night? So you see, I do think that there is significance in following as accompanying and coming and seeing as something to do with homing in on the curiosity of young people as to where do they find some sort of philosophy, some sort of narrative that is going to appeal to the goodness that is in them. Now, the, after a follow and find, the final significant word in this morning's conversation is the word see. Now, when I look this up, I've got an interlinear, you know, with New Testament Greek and English underneath. And when I looked it up, I found that there are two verbs to see in this morning's gospel passage. The first one has got the normal sense of see, come and see, here is something which appears, come and look at this, what appears on the outside, come and see, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Philip says, come and see Jesus, come and see this man. But in the last part of the reading, where Jesus says, you will see the heavens opening, etc., the word see actually means experience. And it's different, you see, it's a different quality of seeing. So you can either see things superficially, or you can see things as experience. And if they, you experience them, they really get to your guts. That's where you really are. And so surely what we need to do to bring everybody that we want to try and enthuse with Christianity into a Christian community is to say, well, we've searched out, we've found your friends, we'd like you to accompany us, we'd like you to come and see what is going on, what is going on sort of on the surface. But then let's ask ourselves the questions. If you've spent a night in the night shelter, you've seen what happens, but what have you experienced? And perhaps the experience of being alongside the, the whole operation will actually prove to be more potent than trying to say to people, we're doing this because Jesus is the Lamb of the world and the Lamb takes away the sin of the world. But it's very difficult, isn't it, when you've been brought up within the Christian story, not to feel that the words are the most important thing in a sense. So I was very interested, finally, um, to read in the Church Times 
uh, somebody who wrote an article I actually approved of about all this, uh, how do we get young people in. And they said, the trouble is, you see, they said, we always think that there's something lacking. We've got to take secularism out and we've got to put religion in. But they argued that this isn't the case, that actually what's there already, the innate goodness and the wish of people actually to live in a flourishing society is already there as it is with young people. So we don't have to take things out. We have to think what we can add. And they suggested that the way that we did this was to say to them, here are our resources. Here are what we do with them as a Christian community. Come along and see, and see what people do because of their inspiration in Jesus. Come along and see, ask questions, and then see what you make of it. See what you make of it. See what you make of it.